April 14, 1912. The Titanic crashed into a huge iceberg and sank. Yep, we've covered that. But what if this time we use the ice to bring the ship to the surface? This requires several thousand feet of wire mesh and a lot of liquid nitrogen. Our goal is to put the Titanic in a huge block of ice that will raise the ship to the surface. Now to do this, you need to wrap the wreck in a wire mesh and cover it with liquid nitrogen. The first problem you face is the inability to wrap the ship completely. You need to somehow lift the ship a little to put the mesh under it. Let's say that by some miracle you manage to do so. Next, you need to transport hundreds of large tanks of liquid nitrogen. You're underwater, opening the tanks, and it's so cold that the icy water of the Atlantic Ocean looks like it's boiling. The nitrogen just sizzles, dissipates, and certainly doesn't create a block of ice around the mesh. Alright, new attempt. Raise the Titanic with the help of huge magnets. For this, you need a large cruiser and some powerful magnets. You attach thick cables to the magnets and lower them to the bottom. Bright projectors illuminate the black ocean depths. Parts of the wreck are visible. The magnets descend lower and cling to the iron hull of the ship. The cruiser pulls the cables and magnets up. Some of them detach from the Titanic as the iron surface is covered with reefs and corals. Some parts of the wreck break away from the ship and rise. The power of the cruiser is not enough. One of the cables is torn. Not only the weight of the individual parts of the Titanic, but also the colossal water pressure interferes with the operation. The sunken ship can't be raised completely, only its small parts. In reality, there has already been an attempt to raise the Titanic in parts. The $5 million operation failed. Nylon slings were attached to a large part of the wreck. The other ends of the slings were connected to the diesel engines. For the entire operation, they used a mini-submarine. A piece of the Titanic weighing 21 tons was pulled up, but one of the slings broke because of the strong water pressure. Then, one by one, the other cables began to snap and a huge piece fell back to the seafloor. By this time, all the participants of the rescue operation had run out of food supplies and it was far from the nearest shore, so they decided not to make a second attempt. A book was written and a movie was made about how the Titanic was lifted with compressed air. In reality, no one even attempted this operation. To do this, you'd need several hundred large cylinders of compressed air. At first, you install them inside the Titanic's hull and wait for them to pull the ship to the surface. As soon as you lower the cylinders under the water, they immediately float upwards. This greatly complicates the operation. You need to fasten the cylinders with cables and pull them down to the bottom using a powerful submarine, or better yet, several of them. Because of the high pressure, the cylinders might burst. In this case, the blast wave would hit other cylinders and provoke a catastrophe. Too expensive and unsafe. You know SOS, don't you? Three dots, three dashes, and three more dots. It's an easy enough signal to tap out in Morse code. It means save our souls or save our ship. The crew of the legendary Titanic had been desperately trying to send this signal for two hours the night of April 14, 1912. There were other ships not too far from the spot where the iceberg took down the mighty Titan of the Sea. But the call for help seemingly disappeared before it could reach them. The passenger ship SS Mount Temple did pick up a signal and try to respond, but the Titanic never got the answer. So what was silencing the ship's cries for help? Some unknown Bermuda Triangle of the North Atlantic? Consider this. 
Eyewitnesses say the sky was painted with a brilliant aurora borealis that cold, fateful night. Beautiful, yes. But on that day, the northern lights may have sealed Titanic's fate for good. You see, the aurora borealis forms thanks to geomagnetic storms. Sounds complicated, but those are basically fluctuations in the Earth's magnetic sphere. And what causes those is the sun itself. The magnetic sphere is like a protective bubble that surrounds our planet. It blocks harmful solar rays, winds, and other cosmic dangers from reaching us. Without it, life on our planet wouldn't be possible. Earth would look more like Mars. You also have it to thank for compasses pointing north. Experts know the Earth's magnetosphere affects navigational equipment, or disrupts it. Which brings us back to the Titanic. Recently, a published weather researcher named Mila Zenkova proposed a theory that solar flares, which provoked a geomagnetic storm, could have played a major role in the Titanic's untimely demise. In total, the damage spanned along an area of around 300 feet. But the ship's designers had prepared for the prospect of a collision and added watertight compartments down each side of the ship to act as a buffer zone. Four of these compartments could be breached, and the ship would still stay afloat. But because the iceberg tore down the side of the Titanic, it ripped holes in six compartments. The compartments didn't extend up the total height of all decks and weren't actually sealed at the top. This is why when more than four were flooded, water reached over the top of the bulkheads and filled the remaining compartments, causing the ship to sink into the ocean. Think of it as water spilling over an ice cube tray. But what if the collision was head-on? Would it still have sunk? Ships are designed with potential crashes in mind, and most vessels have collision bulkheads in the bow. Most of all, it's like your car's bumper or crumple zone. It's a safety feature that can withstand a direct hit. The bow could have taken some of the impact, and some experts have suggested that if it hit head-on, only two to four of the watertight compartments would have been flooded. So, in theory, the Titanic might not have sunk, and it might have even been able to continue sailing to its final destination at a much slower speed. The force of impact would likely have been huge, though. But although passengers would have been injured by the force, they'd have been able to stay on the ship to wait to be rescued by other ships, rather than being forced into the icy waters of the Atlantic. Still, one of the Titanic's designers, Edward Wilding, suggested that the force of the impact might not have actually been that big. He told the British Inquiry that lots of people scarcely felt the collision, and he believed the ship would not have sunk if it did hit the iceberg head-on. The wreck would remain lost for another 73 years, hiding its many secrets within the frigid Atlantic waters. And if it wasn't for a man whose whole life had been devoted to exploring the sea, the giant ship might have remained lost for a lot longer. That man was Robert Ballard. As a child, Ballard was obsessed with the ocean. This fascination started when he was just 12 years old. That's when he watched a film adaptation of Jules Verne's science fiction novel, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It had everything to spark a young person's imagination, from adventure and strange creatures to a powerful underwater vehicle called the Nautilus. It could travel anywhere in the world you wanted to go. From that moment, life on dry land was no longer in Ballard's future. When he was 23, 
he was assigned to the Deep Submergence Group. There, he helped develop techniques to search the ocean floor. His biggest accomplishment was the creation of Alvin. It was a small, easy-to-maneuver submarine that could carry three people. It also featured an external mechanical arm designed to gather underwater samples while the crew remained safe and dry inside. Alvin the submarine quickly proved useful for a variety of tasks. For example, once it was used to track down an aircraft that had crashed into the sea. But the vessel experienced a series of setbacks. In one case, it was attacked by a swordfish, which caused the submarine to resurface quickly. The swordfish, still stuck in the outer skin of the submarine, became that night's dinner. And in October 1968, the submarine was being lowered into the water when the cables holding it snapped, sending it careening into the ocean along with three crew members on board. And because the small vessel was still open, it immediately filled with water and quickly began to sink. It wasn't until 1985 that the whereabouts of the ship were discovered by oceanographer Robert Ballard, and some parts of the Titanic became visible once again. One of the first discoveries made by Ballard's expedition was that the ship was indeed torn in half before sinking. The early exploratory missions to the part of the ocean floor where the Titanic now lies could only see the hull and the deck of the ship. According to Ballard, the main purpose of these missions was to understand how to preserve the ruins from deteriorating. Another goal was to recover the huge number of personal items scattered along the seabed. The explorer later said the view down there was as shocking as it was emotional. In the field of debris around the wreck, the oceanographer discovered plenty of small objects and personal belongings, many of which he brought back to the surface. There were shoes, some fancier than others. There were pieces of clothing that belonged to crew members. And there were huge propellers. If on the surface they gleamed and shined, on the ocean floor they were embedded and devoured by sand. Ballard pointed out that the area where kitchenware was scattered measured more than a mile in length. There were enough plates, pots, and pans to fill up an entire industrial kitchen. For the first time ever, 3D animation footage reveals exciting images. The simulations show the Titanic's evolution from when she first set sail in 1912 until the state of her ruins today. But simulations weren't enough for deep-sea explorer James Cameron who envisioned traveling to the heart of the wreck for the first time ever in the history of the ship. Yep, the same James Cameron who happens to be the director of a very famous movie about the ship. He has now dived 33 times to visit the wreck of the Titanic. The most expensive and complex plan to raise the Titanic is probably the one where scientists somehow extract hydrogen and oxygen from the ocean water. Then these extracted elements must fill special containers. Those containers are attached to the ship and the Titanic would rise to the surface. Even if you extract oxygen and hydrogen from millions of tons of water, the rest of the ocean water will replace it. A machine that will be capable of such filtering should cost billions of dollars. Or you can come up with a chemical element that will use a chain reaction to purify all the water. In this case, the entire world ocean will be left without vital oxygen. Someone once suggested blowing up the Titanic. You'd need to lower several boxes of dynamite to the ocean floor. The boxes must be completely sealed to prevent the dynamite from getting wet. Next, you need to run several miles of wire conducting an electrical current to them. 
Once all this is done, you sail to a safe distance. Now, you're going to press the button to pass the current through the wire and activate the dynamite. 3, 2, 1, stop! Why would you do this? Even if it works, the wreckage of the Titanic will be scattered in all directions on the seabed. It will be impossible to lift the Titanic from the ocean. Imagine a huge hook that can fetch the Titanic and lift it from the bottom like a fish. This hook must be huge to pick up a sunken ship. Let's say you created it. Next, you're on a huge cruiser, sailing up to the crash site and lowering the hook down like an anchor. It falls right on the Titanic, but doesn't cling to it. You need special equipment to attach a bus-sized hook to the Titanic. It would include a huge submarine with mechanical arms. To build such a device and make it work under enormous pressure is already next to impossible. But let's say you finally managed to hook the Titanic. It's then you realize the cruiser doesn't have enough power to lift the ship, weighing more than 50 tons, and the hook that adds about 10 tons more. To complete your task, you'll need a few more cruisers and a few extra million dollars. Now back to the wreck. According to James Cameron, it wasn't enough for researchers to access only the exterior of the ship. They needed to go inside, analyze, and photograph what was left of the pompous interiors of the world's once biggest sea liner. Cameron piloted an innovative robot vehicle equipped with cameras. It helped the man to reveal spaces in the Titanic that no one had ever seen before since the ship touched the bottom. Turkish baths, for instance, still had their tiled walls standing up almost in all their entirety. These baths were exclusively for first-class passengers. They were located right next to the swimming bath and the third-class dining room and were designed in the Moorish style. People resting there could get heating blankets and ask waiters to bring them anything they needed. If the pictures from before the disaster were astonishing, they carry a different kind of wow factor now, when everything you see in them is hidden underneath the surface of the water. Another shocking discovery was the ship's mast. If we look at the Titanic in its pre-sinking glory, the mast calls much of one's attention. Located on the bow of the huge ship, the mast held together the transmission cables for the Marconi system, a system of wireless telegraphy. That's also where the British merchant flag the Titanic flew was located. The mast stood at the height of a bit more than 100 feet and was equipped with a crow's nest. Nowadays, the mast is unrecognizable. Attacked by corrosion, it collapsed. The crow's nest broke apart too. Now we can see why the modern-day Titanic is a real treasure for deep-sea explorers. But as the wreck of the ship lies at an approximate depth of 12,500 feet, sunlight is non-existent there. So, piloted missions depend on high-end technological equipment to survey the area. Why do you think the Titanic went missing from the public eye for over 70 years? Well, because at that time, technology wasn't advanced enough for people to go down there, as well as bring back good footage of the wreck. Filmmakers were the ones who drove this technology to its advance by trying to film underwater. They began by building boxes to put their cameras inside. And now, deep-sea photography is highly advanced and allows us to marvel at the awesomeness of underwater life. Of course, taking pictures under the sea is no easy feat. For one thing, to withstand that crazy underwater pressure, submarines need to be really strong and have thick walls, no thinner than 11 inches. Plus, explorers need to understand how to film and photograph when there's almost no light around. There was another thing that made documenting the Titanic even more difficult. 
when the wreck of the ship was rediscovered by scientists, it was covered with red-colored rusty bacteria that made it even harder to take good pictures. That's it for today. So hey, if you pacified your curiosity, then give the video a like and share it with your friends. Or if you want more, just click on these videos and stay on the bright side.